Hello and welcome back to Lama Taboo, specifically to this book study portion of the Lama Taboo-niverse, where we'll be going through Chogum Trumpa Rinpoche's crazy wisdom. Now, I could have released all 13 of these episodes at once, but I know when I get 13 episodes of something at once, I'm going to binge it. And that is not the way to consume this incredibly profound dharma and crazy wisdom. So, what I'd like to suggest is to follow a method that Mitchell and I developed in previous book studies we've done together. And it's a method that honors the three stages of practice, listening, contemplation, and meditation. The idea here is that each week you'll read one chapter and you'll listen to the podcast episode that goes along with that chapter. Hear the dialogue between Mitchell and I. That's the listening portion. Contemplation is what you'll do throughout most of your day. Think about what you've heard. Try to apply the teachings to what you're going through, your experience in particular. And then meditation is just doing your practice. Just do your daily practice of meditation. And in that way, we'll really inhabit each chapter for a week. So if you want to go back to the book, I don't suggest you read ahead. But I do suggest you read again. And that's how I think you can really get a good experience out of this podcast book study we're doing here. Thank you so much for listening to Lama Taboot. Please tell your friends about us. You can find us online at lamataboot.com and on Instagram at lamataboot. And I also want to put a plug in for my nonprofit, Mindfulness for Life. You can find us at mindfulness-for-life.org or on Instagram at mindfulnessforlife.org. Thanks once again for joining us for this incredible journey through crazy wisdom. I know you'll get as much out of it as you put into it. So listen, contemplate, and meditate. Doctor? <laughs> All right, so now we are on chapter six, the final chapter of seminar one of Crazy Wisdom. Um, and this chapter title is uh, Cynicism and Devotion. And so in, the, in this one, I mean, the main thing is, like, he doesn't really deal with any new aspects, um, but this one is kind of just like a summary and conclusion of the seminar, sort of, where he reiterates and kind of refreshes the 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 point of the the approach that he's taken in discussing the life of Padmasambhava, but then also he kind of introduces a new forward-moving sentiment, I feel like, for his students, and maybe in order to like guide them with something a little bit more practical and tangible as they move forward with this content. That's kind of how I see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he kind of starts out talking about um, the basic approach his students took or that he taught. And I think it, there's an interesting case with, with Trungpa because he was like the first large-scale Tibetan Buddhist teacher in the U.S. And he taught in such a way that it's kind of like a stretched-out version of the way most people are taught now time-wise mm -hmm. you know like i mean he came and he only taught sitting meditation um overtly for like a, a couple years mm -hmm. and then he started teaching tonglen like a couple years after that 
you know, and then a couple of years after that, he started to introduce some of the tantric practices, Vajogini in particular. Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of like introduced everyone on this very slow train, you know, of like just learning meditation, just sitting, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and so he, it, that meant that people spend a lot of time in this analyzation phase, you know, of, of opening to the teachings, you know, being in this phase of, of the cynicism kind of mm-hmm. that he's talking about mm-hmm. applying, um, analysis to everything, doubting everything in an open and, and investigatory way, you know, taking everything you get and examining like it's gold, like the Buddha, which is, you know, exactly what the Buddha taught. Like that was the Buddha's teaching, you know, don't just believe stuff because I, I told you mm-hmm. examine it and test it. And so that's kind of where he had his whole community's heads, mm-hmm. you know, in this idea of like, be skeptical question, you know, and that's why you get some of these questions in his books that sometimes can even seem a little confrontational, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they were in most cases, but I think it was probably, if anything, it was students trying their best to, to really examine the stuff and, to, and maybe even to show their teacher how hard they were really thinking about mm-hmm. it. But that cynicism was really baked in from the beginning in Trungpa's community. And this chapter seems like he's trying in this one teaching to, to turn the page to, to what's next, mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, in, the, in the path for his broad community of students, what comes after that very careful scientific, almost cynicism, you mm-hmm. know, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, he's kind of saying like, in order to really relate to the content that he's presenting here, it's going to require that like gear shift, which he expresses as uh, a kind of intelligent romanticism, which is like related to to the sensibility of the Vajrayana teachings, I think. I mean, you could, that intelligent romanticism or devotional would maybe be another word, devotional kind of approach to the teachings i think is is kind of what we're talking about here and it's like somehow that energy is like what allows us to bring it to life for ourselves because at some point we need to shift more into a kind of creative positive forward moving perspective rather than like a doubting skeptical perspective i think that's kind of the point like it's like the creation phase you know we're we're like creating reality in in this kind of new way and in order to do that we have to have something to hold on to and have faith in and like move with and i mean to me like the main point here is that he you know juxtaposes (laughs) uh two different approaches to that kind of so-called romanticism uh, one is like based, as he says, like on a kind of poverty mentality. This is like the approach that we would want to try to avoid. Whereas like you feel like the other, like the goal or the guru or the teachings, uh, you know, have something that you don't have. And, you know, more or less by like venerating or worshiping that thing, you know, you'll somehow come to have it. And... 
then the other approach which he is advocating so to speak and which is kind of in line with the view of our teachings is a romantic approach based on the sense that you do have it um and i mean i think it if you don't mind i think it's worth uh maybe reading this little paragraph here yeah um because i think this is kind of like one of the main points of this chapter and in general it's just good stuff to hear he says the other type of romantic approach is based on the sense that you do have it it is there already you do not admire it because it is somebody else's because it is somewhere far away distant from you but because it is right near in your heart it is a sense of a pre appreciation of what you are you have as much as the teacher has and you are on the path of dharma yourself so you do not have to look at the dharma from outside this is a sane approach it is fundamentally rich there is no sense of poverty at all and then actually we're just going to go ahead and keep going just a little bit it says this type of romanticism is important it is the most powerful thing of all. It cuts through cynicism, which exists purely for its own sake, for the sake of its own protection. It cuts through cynicism's ego game and develops further and greater pride, Vajra pride, as it is called. This helped me understand the last couple years of my, my journey better. Um, and I, I've been reading... Simultaneously, I've been reading Kempo Carter Rinpoche's Quintessence of Mahamudra and Dzogchen, mm. which I'd never read before. And um, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. But that combined with this at, and combined with me and who I am right now, you know, really kind of met in a, in a, in a beautiful way. Just kind of, it made me realize like how often I have taken that poverty approach. Mm-hmm. You know, how often I have like, developed a desire for something I already have, mm. you know, and along with the sense I don't have it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how that's caused me, you know, suffering over time, you know, how that's caused me to feel deficient. Um, whereas with this sort of view that we already have uh, this Buddha nature or have this potential already that actually opens up a whole lot of avenues for further practice mm. you know so it's not it isn't a matter of like hey i i already have buddha nature so i don't need to do anything right, special right. <laughs> you know, like your your practice goes on you know but but it's from taking this more intelligent romanticized approach um it's through taking that that i'm finding um, much more frequent opportunities for practice, you know, and finding them in the most mundane everyday things mm-hmm. in, 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 in moments, you know, like, I mean, just some simple ones. So the other day, like I'm, I'm, I'm staying in Cleveland right now and there's a couple really nice beaches here and, uh, when the water quality is good, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was good yesterday and I was out there and I, uh, and I went to go in and the water's not, not cold. I mean, it's like 77 degrees, but it's a little chilly. Right. And I was walking in and I was like thinking about the chilliness and, you know, and kind of dreading each inch where I walk a little deeper in. And then I thought like, wait a minute, no, 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 no. why don't I just put my attention on this experience? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't I just be, just kind of experience it and quit telling the story about what I'm afraid of or whether it's going to be cold or, you know, like maybe I can just be 
right here in this moment, you know? And I mean, that's, that's a kind of, of, of a practice, you know? And, and I was able to apply it in the moment in the, in the, I was going to say in the heat, but in the cold of the moment, <laughs> you know, like in, in the chilliness of like the, the quality of the moment as it was, I was able to just kind of be there. And I, I'm aware of those kind of opportunities much more now than I used to be. And it's because I think d- directly because of the fact that I feel like I already have what I need to work with my environment in a, in a, a sane, a basic sane way. Yeah. And it's not an illusion that I'm a Buddha. Right. It's just having this view that, that isn't the poverty approach just uh, opens up a lot of avenues for practice yeah. that the, the poverty approach doesn't allow. Totally, yeah, yeah. It, like, it allows you to actually use your experience. Which yeah. I think I yeah. think that's just like the point. I mean, I mean that's exact. That's the point that we've said in so many different ways. But that your story just makes that makes it like super simple and clear in a good way. It's like it actually allows you to possess your experience and use it f- in a really beneficial way, including the confusion. Yeah. You know, including the stuff that that we're maybe not proud of or we feel like might have been a mistake. You know, it doesn't, things don't have to be awful, you know, or like uh, sort of scar us forever when we don't appear to act with perfect wisdom all right. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think the only other thing I really, because this is a short chapter, yeah, yeah. I think he gets into this, he very clearly starts to state this, uh, his teaching about accidents I know, and karma. I love that part. Tell me about it because I'm still a little confused. Uh, okay, so yeah, that was the other. I mean, I'm, I certainly can't claim to understand it completely either. Um, but that was I was gonna kind of just mention that little point at the end because you just get the sense there's something special there. Uh, so, you know, his sentiment is like at the end, like you know, this whole thing, like this seminar, just happened by accident. And he's like, you know, yeah, there's like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, not reading from it or anything, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of work went into it and planning and et cetera, et cetera. Like we all decided to come here and yet at the same time, this whole thing was just purely an accident, which I mean, I can just say the way that I interpret that and the way that I kind of presented it, because I mentioned this when we talked about it on Sunday, however long ago it was. Um, It's kind of like, even though we may set our intention on coming to a teaching situation or a practice situation, it's always like a kind of miracle when it actually comes to fruition, because there's so many factors and there's so many conditions that we're all navigating that we're not really in control of that still have to go the right way for it to actually take place for such a situation to take place like our own will um to go and participate and our own planning that's going to kind of hopefully facilitate such a situation is really not the whole thing you know there's so many things that just have to go exactly right and 
you know, it's kind of an amazing accident that we ever find ourselves in this situation of like being at a Dharma teaching or being at a meditation session or whatever. Um, and to me, it's kind of, you know, it, it can open our eyes to how special uh, the connection to all this stuff is. Yeah. I think I'm still confused about, like, because he says, say at one point somebody asked him, you use the word accident. In your view, does that include free will? Mm. And Trungpa says, well, it's both. That is, free will is the cause of the accident. Right, right. Without free will, you can't have an accident. Yeah. Actually, he says you can't have accident. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and I feel like it's one of those things that um, is maybe supposed to be a little confounding. Right, right. Um, and I'm and I'm actually kind of okay with that, you know. Like I, I this is definitely a point that I I, I can't claim to to to. I, I'll, it'll become clearer later. It's one of the things like in the beginning where they say some parts yeah. of this book are a little blurry, and later I feel like it'll become clearer later for me. But but I can see how. Um, I, I guess the way I, I would conceptualize it is that like, even if I make a choice, there's still a whole world of causes and conditions that are going to meet that choice. And, and I can't know, you know, where those causes came from or where they're, you know, what their result will be. Um, so even in making a choice, you're, you're just kind of opening up an avenue to possibility. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just a separate avenue to, to different possibilities. And so, um, that's one way I would conceptualize it. Another way would just be, I think it's interesting um, when I do talk to people about like how they found their way to meditation or, or fish or anything, yeah, yeah. really. Like there's always some accident in the beginning, right? There's always like some encounter Definitely. they didn't expect or some meeting of a person or seeing a thing or finding a book or there's a, there is, you know, it is, it's funny how many of the things that maybe we take as just like a given part of our identity mm-hmm. uh, began with some kind of accident, you know, or some kind of unplanned uh, occurrence. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's, it's a lot about that. And you can maybe also choose to talk about all that in terms of kind of ongoing dialogue between order and chaos as well. Yeah. Um, and like how, like what you're saying is like, you know, you have your will or your intention, and that's a kind of organizing principle in reality. And then, like, you meet conditions that you weren't expecting. And then that also kind of bounces back. And so that's kind of like chaos in a certain sense, but that bounces back. And then you you just, we all just apply our will as it is once again to those conditions that we weren't expecting. You know, so there's like, it's on like an ongoing, but I think maybe that's a little bit what he means when it's like, it's both because it's always both. Like we all, we all, we don't know what the conditions are going to be, but we still are always responding to them. And like, I think he would probably say, or has said in other places too, like sometimes also like just not responding, that is a different version of responding. You know, it's like no matter what, you, no mm-hmm. matter what you do, you can't get out of the sort of relationship between order and chaos, or like will and conditions, or whatever. It's just kind of this ongoing thread of call and response, or something. 
and and, yeah. and we're not controlling the whole thing, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and I forgot too. At the end, he does bring it all back around to another one of my favorite quotes. Somebody asked, like, "Doesn't your idea of accident contradict the law of karma, which is that everything has a cause and effect?" And uh, Trungpa says, "Accident is karma." Uh-huh. Karmic situations take place by way of accident. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and then he goes on to say, like, the student asks, the ignorance itself is the ac- accident? And this is the quote I, I was referencing. He says, ignorance itself is the accident. Duality is the accident. It's a big misunderstanding. <laughs> and, and I was glad to find that because I know I've said that and I kind of forgot where I got it from, but I've definitely said like, yeah, this is just all a big misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this just started, it all started with an accident. There was an, and that accident, you know, was like mistaking our true nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a little overwhelmed, right. had an accident of apprehension, you know, and th- here we are, Yeah, you know? So at the root of all of this is an accident. Wow. <laughs> Seminar one. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's book study. Now it's up to you to contemplate and to meditate. Please really live in these teachings this week. I hope nothing difficult or challenging occurs. But if it does, think of what you've learned here. Think about if there's an aspect of who you are, of your innate potential that you can bring to the situation that you may not have tried before. And we'll see you here again next week. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about us. You can find us online at lamataboot.com. We're on Instagram at lamataboot. You can find Mitchell at Lama Mitchell Singletary. You can find me at lamaadam.com. And then I also have a nonprofit, mindfulness-for-life.org. And on Instagram, it's mindfulnessforlife.org. Thank you once again for listening. May all beings benefit from our time here today. 